Welcome to the podcast, friends. It's Victoria, and my guest today is Kat McCoy, owner and founder of Best Kept Concierge. After 15 years in financial services, Kat took a severance package from her old boss and used it to launch what has become one of the most highly sought-after jewelry shopping services. As an engagement ring expert and personal shopper for fine jewelry, she helps her private clients source and make the perfect piece of jewelry for any milestone occasion. Kat works with the nation's top designers, jewelers, wholesalers, and collectors to source and commission special pieces across a variety of budgets and styles for her clients. She started her business on the insight that investing in a fantastic piece of jewelry shouldn't be stressful or complicated. And one of my favorite quotes that Kat says is that even if you put on a few pounds, the jewelry still fits. So I know you're going to enjoy this quick episode on how this Brooklyn-based entrepreneur started her service-based business. You're listening to the Brandwell Podcast, the business podcast for side hustlers and creative entrepreneurs who want to take their business to the next level. Your host, Victoria Marcoulier, is a wife, mama, and the owner of a branding studio she built from the ground up, Brandwell. With each episode, Victoria and her guests share the behind the scenes of how they built their dream career and give you the expert advice you'll need to build yours. Learn how to show up confidently online as we cover everything from social media, website strategy, email marketing, and a little bit of that mompreneur life in between. Here's your host, Victoria Marcoulier. Kat, welcome to the Brandwell Podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I am excited to learn a little bit about how this whole jewelry shopping experience works. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and this business that you created, Best Kept Concierge? Um, So as owner of Best Kept Jewelry Concierge, I help people make and source the perfect piece of jewelry for milestone occasions. Um, So I focus on engagements and anniversaries and birthdays and uh, graduations and major milestones like that. Um, you know, the business was really born out of the belief that a really thoughtfully selected piece of jewelry is one of the most meaningful purchases you can make. Um, so I felt like if you could curate amazing options and make people feel like they couldn't get it wrong, that more people would make that leap and and buy a great piece for themselves or for a loved one. I know you haven't always been in the jewelry industry and you, I think you actually came from a background of financial services. So tell me a little how you went from working in financial services to becoming a professional jewelry shopper. Yes, absolutely. So um, I'm completely self-taught um, in the jewelry space. Um, the jewelry business is kind of notoriously um, insular and difficult to break into. So uh, the first couple of years of the business were very much focused on building up those supply side relationships. Um, but in terms of how I went from, you know, as you said, financial services to the business I own now, you know, I feel like I come from a very long line of people who are self-employed, um, including both my parents, both my grandfathers, one of my brothers, and I think at last count, seven of my cousins. Wow. So um, exactly. Yeah. I always knew I wanted to work for myself. And, um, you know, I spent a long time kicking around some genuinely bad business ideas <laughs> until, you know, I settled on this one, which really felt um right, but also true to me and true to my skill set and, and what I'm good at. Um, I should also very much give my husband, Clay, a ton of credit for being so supportive of me living, you know, leaving that comfortable six-figure job to, to test this out. So um, that was definitely a, a huge advantage as well. I love that you said you came from a long line of entrepreneurs. It's amazing how it has to be a gene that gets passed down because 
Both of my parents were entrepreneurs, um, and I'm one of three girls. We all currently run our own business. Um, and wow. I, you just hear that story so many times where if you see that entrepreneur lifestyle and you see um, just kind of the the amazing um, concept of building something from the ground up and then watching it grow. And then of course the flexibility and the freedom that comes with owning your own business. Like it's almost impossible not to want that for yourself. You know, I say, I hope to be doing best kept until I'm no longer working, but I could never, you know, God forbid something were to happen. I could never go back to having a boss. Um, I think I know that much to be true. Same. um, This experience. (laughs) Same. Well, okay. I know that you started this business based on an experience that you had shopping for jewelry. And I do think a lot of successful entrepreneurs, they start their businesses based on a problem that they first experience. And then as they're trying to solve that problem and they're talking with other people, they realize that a lot of others actually share the problem. So was this true? for you? Did you have kind of this like unsettling experience shopping for a piece of jewelry and then you realized other people were kind of feeling the same things that you were feeling? You know, I experienced the problem buying jewelry for myself. And then I also saw people around me who were too gun shy or too intimidated to buy jewelry for their loved ones because it all felt too risky. Um, And particularly maybe they had tried in the past to buy their wife a gift and she returned it. So um, I I definitely knew the the problem firsthand as well. Uh, when I got my first promotion after college, I was determined to buy myself a gold chain bracelet. Um, and I knew I wanted it to be heavy and well-made and I knew exactly what I was willing to spend. Spend, And you know, I spent weeks searching online and I just remember my eyes were bleeding by the time I was on product page 299 <laughs> out of 400. And I just felt like, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit about the type of jewelry that you help people find, right? Because jewelry is such a blanket word and it could mean so many things, but you're really sourcing like fine jewelry for the bigger moments of life, correct? Exactly. I, you know, I like to make that distinction around the idea of milestone occasions okay. um, because um, what I do is it's not at all algorithmically driven. Um, it takes a lot of time. It's a very personal process, uh, both for custom engagement rings and for sourcing um, and any other custom projects that we do. So, um, you know, I can only take on a limited number of clients every month. It's very time consuming. And so I like to say that if you're looking to add just sort of like a casual $400 necklace to your arsenal, you know, working with a personal shopper for fine jewelry might not be the right thing. But if you're looking for, you know, something incredibly special for a major milestone, um, you know, I think that's where I really come in. Mm. I bet you in a lot of ways, you are allowing the husband or the fiance or whoever the partner is to really surprise their loved one with that special piece of jewelry rather than making them pick it out first because it is a huge risk, right? It's a huge investment to not get their okay on something. Absolutely. You know, for me, I think I always say there are two sort of primary elements to an amazing gift. Um, One is um, it's a little unexpected and two, um, it makes the recipient feel seen in some way like you've picked up on something that's really important to them. Um, So I I feel very strongly that at least for a gift, the element of surprise is huge. Um, I would say for engagement rings, the process is a little bit different just because nine out of 10 times, um, if it's a woman being proposed to, she has some sort of idea of what she wants. Um, It's a high stakes purchase because it's expensive, but also because um, God willing, she'll be wearing it every day for the rest of her Mm -hmm. life. So there's 
a little bit of either back channel information from a sister or best friend or mom, Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, more directly, you've gone and tried on things together. Um, and you know, every once in a while, uh, someone will come to me and want to completely start from scratch, uh, with an engagement ring. But most of the time we have a little bit of a nudge or, um, some sort of direction, um, to sort of honor what she wants. And we'll dive deeper into the actual process of how you serve your customers later in the episode. But first, I want to talk about the early days of starting your company. So take us back to 2018 and share what it looked like to pivot out of your management role at Ernst & Young and into offering this service full time. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, actually between E&Y and going full time with Best Kept, I worked in strategic partnerships for a mid-sized startup. So they were maybe five or six years old, um, a little bit more mature, but certainly very different than the work I had been doing at Ernst & Young. Um, But I had been wanting to leave um, and do my own thing for quite a while. Um, I had the idea for Best Kept right before there was a major pivot for the business I was working working for. Um, And so the, the timing was really fortuitous. I was offered a spot on the sales team. So to completely change to a totally different department or um, a few months severance. And because I had this great idea that I was excited about and was sort of looking for a nudge from the universe, I took the severance and uh, never looked back. Used it to fuel your business. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Did you have any fears that were holding you back at all when you were, when you were starting Best Cap? Quick break to tell you guys about today's sponsor, which is HoneyBook. You guys know I love me some HoneyBook. This has been the CRM of Brandwell for three and a half years, almost from day one, you guys. And I don't know how we would be operating without it. So HoneyBook is a client flow platform that was designed specifically for the modern business owner. I think it's ideally made for the modern day service provider. From the initial inquiry to the final payment, you can literally do everything in HoneyBook. They manage our proposals, our contracts, our invoicing, our financial reports, and then most importantly, our client communication back and forth. Everything is streamlined in one place that I can log into and see where a project is at at any given time. All of my team can log in. You can give people different permissions and roles based on what their unique role is on the project at hand. It's just an awesome platform. Go check it out. I have a 50% off discount code for you if you want to try out HoneyBook your first year at 50% off. We'll link it in the show notes for you. Just try it. It's amazing. Um, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the big fear is typically that, um, both the success and the failure, it was all going to be on me. Um, and so I think that's something to, that can sometimes get in the way when you're thinking of starting something, but, um, it's also very empowering to know that, um, you're sort of the captain of the ship and, and it rests and, and lies with you. Um, so, I, you know, I think early on is sort of when you learn about your, uh, risk tolerance and your appetite for risk. And also, um, I think mentally it's, uh, you just sort of got to hang tough a little bit. Mm, I love that your appetite for risk. So the timing was right. You got this severance package. The concept was right. You felt like it was a good fit. It aligned with your skill set. How did you then go about to market this new business idea and get your first paid customers? Yeah, so I decided to launch the business with a single offering, which was helping um, particularly men find special gifts for their female partners. Um, Since then, um, of course, I work with all types of people. Custom engagement rings have become the biggest part of the business. But at the time, I wanted to start with gifts, um, 
typically helping a man who didn't really know where to start find something very special for his partner. So I made a list of all the guys I knew, and I had my two brothers and my husband send me a list of 15 of their friends and their contact information um, and colleagues. And I reached out to them to conduct interviews under the guise of, I'm thinking of starting this business. I'd love your input. What was the process like when you've gotten your girlfriend or fiance or partner a gift in the past or before? What was it like? Um, and I wanted to get a good sense if this was a service that they'd be interested in. Smart. Um, and through those interviews, I got my, my first three clients that way. So um, I think just putting yourself out there um, in a humble way, um, you know, and really asking for advice was such a great way to kind of, um, you know, start things off. That is a great idea. I really have never had somebody answer uh, that question that way. I ask that question a lot. You know, how'd you get your first paid clients? But just simply asking people, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Do you think this is a good idea? Is this a service you would ever be interested in? And right there, you're kind of low-key pitching the service to them. Absolutely. And as much as I was very much um, genuine about just looking for information, um, it also... um, you know, people feel really good when you ask them about themselves. Um, it's sort of, um, it's very flattering when someone reaches out to you um, because you trust their intellect and are curious about them. So I think um, what I do requires so much trust. And um, I, I think it was such a, a great, you know, kind of quick way to, to build up that kind of rapport. Mm. So once somebody hires you, what does that process look like? So let's say that they hire you for um, a gift that they want to give to their significant other. What process do you take them through? So we always start off with a phone consultation. Um, I'll get a good sense of what what it is you're looking for. Sometimes someone will come with me and they've got come to me and they've got a pretty strong direction of what they're looking for. Other times they're very open minded. Um, so we'll discuss what what you're looking for, and then also um, I'll ask a lot of questions about the person that we're shopping for to get a good sense of their style, uh, what it is they wear every day. If you've noticed, do they prefer yellow gold or white gold or rose gold? Is it more delicate or chunky? You know, are there any brands that you know that they like? Um, you know, some men are very observant and have a lot of information <laughs> on others, less so. Um, but the little trick of the trade that has been really effective for me is I'll typically ask someone to send me two pictures of the person we're shopping for. One where she's all dressed up uh, for a wedding or something more formal. And then one, you know, a pair her in a pair of jeans, um, a little bit more casual. And just those two visual inputs give me um, a lot of direction from a style standpoint of, uh, of where I think that we can take this. Um, we'll discuss budget. Um, and then once I feel like I have a good sense of my marching orders, I'll go out and curate anywhere between three to five really beautiful options within their budget for them to choose from. Um, I put all of these recommendations into a PDF that has lots of pictures of the piece of jewelry um, you know, on the body as well, which I think is really important just because there's nothing worse than ordering a piece of jewelry and the scale is is not at all what you expected. Mm. Um, and I also like to include information on why I think this particular piece is right for the person we're shopping for or right for the occasion. Um, I like to imbue the sense of being intentional and thoughtful throughout the whole process because when you do get it right and select the right thing for the right person, it, it really is magic. And to me, it's not frivolous at all. Um, so, you know, along the way, as I'm servicing a client, I always like to sort of find those little pockets of thoughtfulness. Um, and oftentimes the description of the piece, um, is, is where we can do it. And to me, it's always really fun when a client will sort of pair it back 
um, you know, what they've heard me say around, you know, I wanted to go with Sapphire because of your blue eyes or, um, you know, I think it just really enriches the whole experience. Um, ideally, they look through the options and they say, let's go with number two. And I order it and ship it to wherever is most convenient. And something very unique about your business is you are not like the traditional Blue Nile where you go and you chat with some designer expert who can help pair you with the right piece of jewelry. You don't actually house any inventory yourself, right? You go and you look and or curate um, these pieces specifically for your client. Yes, exactly. In that respect, I think um, a lot of people compare my business model and what I do to being almost like an interior designer. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are many brands um, that I have wholesale relationships with. Um, Other times I'm looking online and I find something really special that I think is going to be right for this particular client. Um, So there are times when I, I personally can buy the piece at at wholesale or at an industry discount, and I have a relationship with them. And then other times where I'm just doing my research and finding the best option. Um, but I like, I really love not holding inventory for the sort of business financial reasons, but also from an experience standpoint, um, I love to be able to say that I'm not pushing you on this bracelet because I am sitting on three or four of them. I'm truly find, trying to find the single best option for whoever it is we're shopping for. And so um, by not holding inventory, I feel like anything out there is really fair game. Yeah. Well, Kat, your company was featured in Forbes shortly after you got started. And I was reading that article and something stood out to me. Um, You said that you were eager to find a way for digital and highly personalized service to coexist. I love that. Immediately I read that and I was like, ooh, that is a call out quote I'm going to use on social media. But I want to talk about this a little bit. Like share what you meant by that. And then how do you feel that you've solved this problem that a lot of service-based business owners that are online face? So, you know, with the exception of, um, of engagement rings, most of my project work is done by collaborating remotely. Um, so, you know, I like to think throughout the whole experience, how can we make this feel as personal as possible? Um, So I wanted to create digital assets that could be printed or could even feel like a physical asset. So as I mentioned before, when I present the recommendations, they're always in a printable PDF format instead of in the body of an email. Um, Oftentimes, for sourcing projects, a client will actually print out the options to show her to be like, you know, I was going to go with number one, but I ended up going with number three or, you know, sort of show them as almost like a little artifact of the experience together. Um, And, you know, in the consultation, I'm very quick to say that there's no algorithm or team of assistants. It's really me working on this very closely. So we're texting or emailing pictures back and forth um, as I'm putting together the recommendations. I always include a handwritten note with every purchase, um, and I'm always thinking of ways to personalize the recommendations. And you know, as I mentioned before, I talk a lot about the personal style of whoever we're shopping for, um, so that it doesn't feel, you know, in any way generic. Okay, and this is something I want to chat on because. Unlike Brandwell, your customers are about 80% male. Um, I would say we're about 95% female. So a lot of the content naturally that gets shared on this podcast is geared towards, you know, female-based business owners who are serving other females. But I think it's helpful to learn a little bit about how to market to men and really how it differs between marketing to the two genders. So what have you learned about male buying habits over the years and how do you successfully sell to these people and then serve them once they come on board as your client? Yeah, absolutely. So as the business has grown and evolved, I work with many more women than I used to. You know, as I said, I started off working primarily with men, but the business has evolved a little bit. Um, 
But I can say what's kind of unique about the business model is um, in terms of revenue, the majority of my clients are certainly men, but the end user or recipient is is most often a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly more than 80% of my Instagram followers are women. Um, and Instagram is really, you know, sort of my primary platform. So, you know, I've had to learn the hard way that instead of trying to find ways to make following a jewelry account exciting for men, <laughs> I think about how I can speak to the majority of my followers who are women in a way that um, inspires them to either purchase for themselves or send their partners to me. Um, so women who follow me sending their partners to me um, is, you know, a huge part of my overall strategy and, and really how I get business these days. Um, so I had to uh, you know, learn the hard way that you can't be everything to all people. Um, so, you know, it is still true that the majority of my followers are are women, um, but I work primarily with men. And, you know, it's really interesting because the process is very different than if I'm working with a man than with a woman. Um, I like to say that, you know, it, the worst thing I could do would be to send a guy more than three or four options. Right. They're really um, sort of paying for me to curate down the universe of options versus um, a woman who, depending on her sensibility or experience with jewelry um, is, is more often looking for choice and and almost wants the experience to feel like shopping. Um, so it's a very, very different process. I, I often say that, you know, oftentimes when I'm working with a woman, we have to put together almost like a mood board of lots of different options and, and styles before we can even sort of settle on a direction um, versus um, how I sort of engage with um, and keep men sort of uh, sort of focused and not overwhelmed. I've seen very similar um, patterns kind of when we do serve the occasional male client for a website design. And it's a it's a similar um, way of how they find us. It's typically like, oh, we did a website for their sister or, you know, their daughter knew of us and, you know, told them to use us for their website design. But when we're working with men, we actually eliminate a few of the steps in our website design process because they find it a little bit overwhelming, whereas women find some of those steps really exciting, right? And they feel Feel like it's more collaborative and like they're, you know, having a little bit more say and decision making power where we're finding that the men that come to us are just like, hey, like I know what I want. I just don't know how to do it. Like, please do it for me and then send it over when it's done. So in some ways they're a little bit easier to work with. Um, but you know, we do love working with our ladies because we love the excitement that they share with us. So it's just, it's good to know that they, we are different, right? Like we're just built differently and we're wired differently. Our brains are wired differently. And so if you are marketing to men, you know, maybe streamlining things a little bit, you know, giving them fewer options, um, like Kat suggested, where they feel like the service is a little bit more done for them as opposed to done with them. Absolutely. And I would say in terms of, um, even client interactions, um, really reading the room is, is important, um, particularly with engagement rings, which for many people, if you haven't bought a home, this might be the most expensive purchase you've ever made. I have found with the majority of my male clients, once they set a budget, as long as you're staying within that budget, respecting that budget, they don't really want to talk about money until the very end again. Um, so some of it is uh, sort of... Um, you know, I don't know if it's like this sort of masculine, you know, I'm spending money this way kind of energy, but um, even the way we talk about like pricing and stuff, I think can be very different depending on on, on the client. So it's just something I've sort of learned uh, the last few years. Mm-hmm. Over the last four years, um, almost five so far of running your business, what would you say that you are most proud of? Uh, you know, such a good question. I would say... Um, Two things. I'm most proud that I started. Um, it was a true leap to go out and do it. Um, and then also, 
about a year or two into business, I realized that um, people weren't buying a piece of jewelry. They were buying my service and, and my time and they were buying me. And so I think putting yourself out there in your marketing um, and in your business can be, you know, it, it'll make you feel really vulnerable to turn the camera onto you um, and speak directly to your audience. But I'm, I'm proud that uh, after a little bit of uh, dragging my heels, I got there and, and I sort of accepted that I'm, I'm really the face of the business. I love that. And so for someone who is considering starting a service-based business, what would be the best piece of advice you could give to them? Um, another kind of twofold answer, you know, to my, to the point I just made, people are buying you. So you have to accept that you're the face of the brand. You got to get on camera. Um, when you talk about the business, you know, say I, instead of we, even if it sounds sexier to sound like you have a whole team, mm-hmm. um, buying and, and betting on you. Uh, as I said, I, I resisted this for the first year or two in business. So I even rebranded from Best Kept to Best Kept by Kat McCoy to kind of keep myself honest. So it's very much easier said than done, but it's incredibly important. And then the other thing for a service-based business, um, I think, you know, my my older brother who um, is a business owner gave me this piece of advice before starting. And I, I think about all the time, which is, you know, keep your monthly operating expenses you know, as re- as manageable as possible. Um, at least in jewelry, the business can be very cyclical. So there are some months where I'm absolutely crushing it and then other months where, where are a little bit slower. Um, so the extent that you can keep your operating costs down, you can be really nimble um, throughout the year and continue to take bets on yourself, but also um, sort of survive the leaner times. Great advice. Kat, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this story of how you built your business best kept and kind of how it's evolved over the years. And it's inspiring to me. And I know it's inspiring to a lot of our guests. So I appreciate your time. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Brandwell podcast. If you're a side hustler or creative entrepreneur looking to take your business to the next level, Subscribe to the podcast so we can continue to cheer you on week after week by providing practical advice on how to grow your business. For show notes or to learn more about what we covered in today's episode, head to brandwelldesigns.com. Until next time, keep branding well.